RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. If you've been told to pull up your socks recently, then make sure it's a pair of RCR socks. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash shop. So I'm reading from uh, the latest NZDSOS release, Is Med Safe in a Conflict of Interest? And uh, they've put this out for immediate release. New Zealand doctors speaking out with science, NZDSOS, calling for transparency and accountability around pharmaceutical companies influencing and funding national medical regulatory bodies. This has come to light uh, in um, recent Official Information Act requests. So we thought we would find out about this, obviously. Dr. Alison Goodwin and Dr. Matt Shelton from NZDSOS are with us right now. Morning, folks. Thanks for coming on. Hello, Paul. Hey, Paul. Okay, so there is a conflict of interest, and it runs in potentially to the tens of millions from what I see. Who wants to start? Oh, well, look, I mean, I can talk about it a bit. So, yes, I mean, I guess as a group, uh, we've known that um, other overseas regulators have received, you know, large percentages of their funding from the pharmaceutical industry, but we didn't know uh, exactly what MedSafe um, had received in funding. But thanks to this recent OIA, we can uh, see the actual amounts of funding that um, MedSafe receives from third-party sources uh, and how that's increased over the years. Uh, we've got data from 2016 to uh, the current or maybe the, the most recent year. Um, and we can see also as a percentage of um you know, how much percentage of, of MedSafe's funding comes from the government and how much from um, third-party sources, which presumably is the pharmaceutical industry um, generally. Uh, so, yes, so the, la- the latest um, financial year, third-party sources, $12 million. Um, it's almost doubled from 2017 to 2023 and all under yeah. a socialist government. Yes, that's right. So, yes, that's $12 million from the pharmaceutical industry or from third-party sources compared to just $2.2 million um, government funding for MedSafe. Uh, so the percentage is, in this current financial year, uh, just about 16% of funding, MedSafe funding from the government. The rest of it, 84-odd percent, um, comes from the pharmaceutical industry. Um, you know, and so the gov- the percentage of government funding has decreased over the years, uh, and proportionately the pharmaceutical funding's increased over the years. So, I mean, I guess the question has to be asked: you know, what are they paying for? You know, is MedSafe going to well, decline first, first something all, when they're funding? Why are they paying this way? Why are they paying this way? Well, I mean, it, presumably it's there is work there's to be a done. problem with it, right? There's prob- a problem with it. It's a transparency issue, conflict yeah. of right there. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. So why is it even happening? Well, yes, that's the bigger question, and that should be the investigative journalists, I guess, asking. Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to pay for the work of regulating the med- medications, but uh, is it appropriate that the people applying for the medications are the ones funding the regulations of it? And um, to me, that... But it seems like you're likely to get a certain outcome if you are paying for that outcome. It's, it's been like this for years, hasn't mm. it, Alison? It's, it's been like this oh, for yes. years, and, and, and you know the, the much bigger regulators now is the the FDA, the TGA in Australia, um, the MHRA in the UK. Um, that that's how it is. It's how business is done. Um, yeah. But added to that, you have the um, 
the, the sort of revolving door that's very obvious again in the bigger countries between you know regulators and people who are making these funding decisions um, and the pharmaceutical companies themselves. Um, now we we you know we have some officials who we we think look pretty conflicted. Um, and have done all the way through, um, but it's you know we don't don't have quite as many, and we're obviously not as big as big hitters. But this is you know normal business, and the governments would say, well, you know, the more that is contribu contributed by industry, the less the taxpayers have to pay. Um, so you know it's it, it's all good, and why shouldn't they you know pay their fees? Um, so you know th this is business as usual, but um, you know we were disappointed that we were only just under Australia, which I think is ninety percent or over. Um, of, of, of their funding. They're, in fact, they received the most, the highest percentage um, of the regulators that, that you know, we've, we've mentioned from the drug industry. Um, and, and yeah, that's that's got to be suspicious. Well, just in the way they've acted, you can join some dots there, can't you? I mean, it's fair to say that MedSafe has not been acting as the uh, common sense thinking person would have expected. Is it, am I right? It, it, in what we've had recently. <laughs> It's been very difficult to understand exactly what they have and haven't done with regards to assessing the data from, um, you know, that's been provided by Pfizer. You know, we've tried to, with the initial provisional consent, there were 58 conditions, and we've tried to find out, well, did Pfizer actually fulfil those conditions and what were the outcomes of those conditions? And it's been impossible to find that sort of thing out. And so... Um, yeah, it would be nice to have a bit more transparency about what we're doing. When I was being persuaded by my um, uh, medical practice nurse on the phone, she told me that it was approved by MedSafe. You see, this is what mm. – this is the gravitas it carries. Yeah. Well, yes, it was approved. It was provisionally approved, which is quite yeah. a different beast to being fully approved. But well, she might that, have got that wrong, but it turns out, yeah. yeah, well, if you look at the backstory, you could see, you'd probably see why. Um, well, yes, yes. What what know, does MedSafe actually do with 12, that money? You know, are they they're not doing any last, independent testing, as far as we can tell. You know, they're not actually taking the stuff out of the vial, looking at it, and analysing it themselves to check is it is it what it says on the label? Are there any contaminants? You know, etc. Are the batches consistent? Is the mm. production system consistent? All, all these things. Mm. Mm. This speaks to the the undeserved trust that we still have. Some of us. In institutions with with alphabet names, and um, you know, we're such a small country that that you know we think well, if if anybody in MedSafe was not acting our interests, you know, we know where they live, or, or we'd know them, or they'd speak out, or we'd hear about it. Um, and so, since we don't, um, apart from a small vocal bunch of disinformation doctors in the cheap seats, um, you know, then then all is fine. And this is the this is the nasty wake up I think that that is occurring. And there are still some people to start to question whether this um, kind of, you know, almost sort of docile, passive trust that we've had um, is, is still warranted. And we've been, you know, saying that it, that it isn't, that there's clearly, um, as, as, as Alison said, you know, there's, there's very important data that's being ignored uh, or, or looked at and dismissed um, that, that the public are really suffering from, from you know, the lack of. And, um, you know, this is just one part of, of the puzzle as to why that might be and what, what are the influences um, that, you know, really get the attention of, of, of MedSafe. And it seems that this is a global, this is, there are similarities everywhere uh, with the, this sort of funding of these sorts of uh, uh, institutions or, or whatever you want to call them. It's a global thing. So there's been a kind of takeover of the, of the entire Western system of this, hasn't there, hasn't there been? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got a BMJ article here from 2022 in Australia, as Matt said, 96% of its funding is from industry. Yeah. Uh, the European EMA, 89%. The UK MHRA, 86%. The US FDA, only 65%. So the US is actually better than, <laughs> than everyone else. It's interesting. It's around that, apart from the US, around that, uh, I know you only did three examples there, at our one in that sort of mid 80% range yeah. maybe that's where you can you know the threshold you go above that you've got full control maybe i don't know <laughs> well yes the australians at 96 96 they had to work harder <laughs> for the australians yeah okay all right so do you expect um i mean what happens from this do we want some explanations do well, we want some reassurances nice. do we want the medsafe head coming out and saying well actually nothing to see here or, or something well, yeah, I think that would be nice. Uh, I think it's part of a bigger conversation uh, about conflicts of interest that we should have throughout the whole COVID pandemic because, you know, we were hearing from experts, but if you look at who those experts were, um, they weren't the experts in treating viral respiratory infections, which are just ordinary GPs working in their practices. They were experts tied to academia. Um, and did they have conflicts of interest as well? And, and it's not something that we talked about. You know, who's funding Auckland University? Who's funding Otago University? Who funds uh, IMAC and Dr Turner? Um, you know, and, and why are we hearing from doctors in academia rather than frontline doctors? It's, you know, and the conflicts of interest. I think we need to be able to have a discussion so that each person can make up their own mind whether they um, trust the experts or not. The experts. Um, new government, that could yeah. be something in favour of what you've just said. Maybe. Yes, really exciting times. Um, it, it would seem, I mean, lots of promise, um, you know, lots of really um, exciting things that we've heard. And, and, you know, time will tell how that turns into sort of a practical, um, you know, improvement in, in everybody's lives. Um, but it certainly sounds good. I mean, the... the the promise of an inquiry um, was our certainly our fondest wish, and there's there's a bit of noise being made about you know nothing explicit referring to safety, but I, I think it's in there. Um, you yeah, know, does efficacy looking at efficacy inevitably lead to safety? Um, well, not necessarily. Well, not, no, not necessarily. But there is there is a little clause at the end that says some um, you know and any other matters. Okay. Um, and and certainly, Mr. Peters has been very explicit in lots of his meetings, you know, about the importance of looking at this and, and acknowledging the extent of vaccine injury and talking about compensation and, and things. And you and you couldn't have an inquiry without, um, you know, looking at the entire sort of risk-benefit decisions. Um, and so you have to look at, well, what, what was the risk side of the equation? You know, and that's all the information we've been submitting since the beginning. So are um, you confident that that can go all the way? Because that's what people want to know. They want to feel confident that It'll Guardedly. do the business, you know. Guardedly, I think. I think, given you know that it, that it's all in writing, um, and and of course the media have been very careful, uh, well as they were all all the way through the campaign, you know, not to discuss any of the um, the platform that New Zealand First was campaigning on, um, but they're going to have to now. And there's been you know grudging mention or discussion of the fact that there is going to be a um, a public inquiry. I mean, we've yet to see what form. Um, and, and when, um, and I'm personally disappointed that um, there wasn't a, a declaration that the jab should be stopped. Um, now that there is a decision to look, you know, there's obviously a case to answer, you know, to look at issues of safety. Well, if we think there might be, 
um, you know, we should stop the jab immediately. Well, Radio New Zealand was carrying a story not. yesterday that was that, that were was reporting people urging that folk get the booster as soon as possible. Well, yes, I've just been looking at that. But, you know, the, the crucial point that um, Dr. Baker fails to put forth in all his discussions is the vaccine status of those deaths and hospitalizations yep. that he's referring to increasing. So I'd have a lot more confidence in what he was saying uh, if we knew how many um, were vaccinated and how many weren't and how many boosters and such like people had had that were dying and hospitalized. Okay. All right, but we can sort of kind of feel a little bit of a glow for a few days. It's interesting that you should ask that, though, Alison, because, um, well, as, as we know, as we've been discussing, it sounds like there's going to be some sort of release of information um, internationally, but probably involving New Zealand data um, on Friday. Well, Friday, New Zealand time. This week? Um, yes, it does. Um, Steve Kirsch is quite a prolific um, yeah, we know blogger Steve. and researcher. Yep. Um, and a lot of us probably know his name, um, openly challenged the medical, um, sorry, the Ministry of Health uh, last week, I think it was, um, you know, to release their their data to prove that what they're saying is right and that only four people have died following the jab. Four. Let's hear that again. Four. Okay. Four. Yep. And all four. from myocarditis. Nobody's yes. died from blood clots or strokes or heart attacks due to the vaccine. Hmm. Don't know what killed them, but that didn't. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's right. We're sure of one thing. Um, so it's it sounds like uh, exactly those sort of details, you know, the vaccination status um, of people that have died. Oh, so uh, we're going to know. Is that what well, the data presumably, was and presumably with the unvaccinated status as well? Oh, um, that, that may well be something to do with the the you know the whistleblower who's been sort of knocking around, um, uh, bubbling under, shall we say, for the last few weeks. Um, so putting two and two together, no, the one that, that we've heard about. With that, yeah, so, like, maybe. I mean, I, you know, we don't, we don't know for certain. We we haven't okay. been told officially or anything. Um, but uh -huh. um, you know, all, all countries have this have this data, and and you know, they've all been asked to make it public, and you know, put their money where their mouths are. So, um, you know, we, we we've been saying that there's huge cause for concern. Uh, when in fact, since even before our campaign uh, vaccine campaign started here. Uh, and and it and it does sound like um, you know we'll be able to get some get our teeth into some 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 data that that probably should have been made public a long time ago. And, and if it had been, of course, um, things would be very different now. I've seen a figure from Steve Kirsch, and it's north of ten thousand. Is that are we going to be hearing something like that? Do you think? Well, we've you know we've we've looked at what the um, excess sort of all-cause mortality is. So this is the number of people dying over and above an average over a period of time. And from the beginning of the vaccine rollout, um, which is when it started going up, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tracking round about 12,000 extra deaths compared to, you know, the three years before. And it does vary a little bit from year to year. And some winter seasons are worse than others for respiratory illnesses and, you know, what, what carries predominantly old people off. Um, so, you know, it, it could be that sort of ballpark. So understanding it, it the vaccinated versus unvaccinated in that, sorry to jump in, but there's, um, the, the understanding who was vaccinated, who wasn't vaccinated in those excess deaths, let's say 12,000 could be a very compelling piece of data. Well, it, it could be, and it's the sort of data that we should have had 
access to right from the beginning. Um, you know, and H Helen Petitus Harris made a very famous call to the world before our vaccine campaign started um, that all countries must ready their, you know, their, their cheap and effective pharmacovigilance processes um, that weren't difficult to um, to administer because, you know, of the lack of testing and the importance of watching very carefully in case there were problems. Um, you know, and yet in her home country here in New Zealand, um, we've just relied on this passive, voluntary, you know, and very lagging system, um, you know, the, the the CALM reports being then fed into the MedSafe safety reports, and even they've been stopped over a year ago. Um, so, you know, it, it, it would be funny if if it wasn't so deadly serious, yeah. you know, as an example of, of, you know, do what we do, what we say, not what we do. Could have put well, a rocket. So, sorry, sorry go, Alison. Go. I was going to say we should mention the false reassurance we've been given that, uh, you know, all deaths will be investigated and all serious adverse events will be investigated. So we've just recently posted a couple of um, personal stories on our website demonstrating that uh, even a fit, healthy man with no other cause of death, his death was not investigated uh, by this Independent Safety Monitoring Board. Um, and another serious case of encephalitis, black brain inflammation, uh, has not been investigated. So, you know, even if the reporting was good, you know, what what's the state of the investigation? Normally something like that would be investigated. That would be a normal thing to do. Well, I think that's what would it be? I think that's what the medical profession and the public assume is happening behind closed doors, that all these deaths that are being reported are being yeah. investigated. Yeah. and are being determined, are they or are they not related? And they're following some sort of process uh, to determine that. But, um, you know, the couple of cases we've posted about haven't demonstrated that at all. And, and due to the wonder of OIA reports, you know, we're actually, um, well, as certain as we can be, because that's what they're telling us, that actually the vast majority of a large number of reports um, aren't actually assessed. So all we can do is look at individual cases um, that represent you know, very accurately um, what's probably part of a much bigger and systemic problem um, that, that we've, you know, written about and asked questions of um, involving coroners and pathologists and the police and things for, for years now. Um, and I think that, you know, we'll, we'll be very keen to try and keep putting human faces um, onto, um, you know, statistics and, and numbers. And if, uh, you know, Mr. Kirsch really does have, you know, have his teeth into something very important and very accurate. Um, you know, there'll be no shortage of um, you know examples that we could give. Um, you know, to 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 back up the the picture that will be painted um, of, of a significant link, um, and and you know, really really a strong proof of vaccine harms and and deaths and things as you could want. And that could be a rocket under an inquiry. Well, I hope it would be. I hope it would be. But 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 something needs to stop. You know, stop the toll. Um, that, you know, and we're talking as dispassionately as we can here. You know, but about large numbers of of people who should still be alive and aren't, and and people who should still be able to work but are disabled. And and so you, you know, you some of these people are into their second year of disability. You know, they're not that, getting better anytime soon. If Kirsch's figures are like accurate and accepted, that would you'd have to pull the thing immediately at that point, wouldn't you? If you're, if you're holding out, you, you couldn't let it go beyond that, could you? 
Well, we'd certainly hope so. But, uh, you know, there's been a number of moments when we thought this has got to end now. Surely this is the information that's going to pull the pin, <laughs> but it hasn't happened yet. But um, I certainly hope that, it, you know, if we do find that the majority of these excess deaths are likely due to vaccination, that the general public would actually uh, step up and demand some answers. You know, we're, we're asking questions. We're a small group. We actually need the public behind us uh, mm. asking the same questions. Yep, go. I, I was going to say, it's, it's becoming a farce, a grand farce, the extent to which the evidence is so strong and is triangulated in so many different ways uh, and from so many different countries um, and still is largely being ignored. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so deadly serious. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm really hopeful that, that, that you know, not even our officials and our sort of disinformation experts will be able to, you know, hide or, or um, you know, discredit this information. But they've, they've managed pretty well so far. So let's see what happens. Alison, anything, any final words? Um, well, no, I don't think so. I mean, I yep. guess I encourage the public to look at our website, read what we're writing about, um, and and join with us in asking the questions because um, asking the questions, demanding the answers, putting in the OIAs, uh, you know, we're doing what we can, but, yeah, but a support would be helpful. And uh, it's nzdsos.com, isn't it? The website is .com? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right, well, well, we are getting amazing support, actually, from, from people, but, but, you know, the more the better. Eating the elephant a bite at a time. Yes. Nice way of putting it, yeah. Okay. Thanks to Dr. Alison Goodwin and Dr. Matt Shelton from NZD SOS coming back on RCR. Thank you. We'll talk again. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan.